Good morning. You can remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Today's scripture is John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. As you do that, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we're desperate for you to meet us this morning. By the power of your spirit and by your word, God, would you mold and shape us to be people that love. Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to change. Um, We're desperate for you to do that in and through us. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, there's no other time in human history where so many people have access to so much information at all times. We are drowning in a sea of 24-7 content. Would you agree? And there's a good side to that. My wife and I were having a conversation last week trying to pin down the title of the 1989 classic by Tone Loke, Funky Cole Medina. Now, I thought it was Funky Cole, C-O-L-E, Medina. My wife was under the impression it's it's Funky Call Medina, C-A-L-L. So as we're having this conversation, I pull out the super um, computer in my pocket, known as a smartphone, and I start Googling funky, and then I just put a C in, and it just instantly answers it for me. It's funky Cole, C-O-L-E, Medina. So we were both wrong. Um, And it's a terrible song. It's terrible. I don't know how we were singing that back in the 80s. I don't recommend it, even though it has an amazing beat to it. But there is an upside of having accessed information at a moment's notice whenever you want. But there's also a downside to it. Having so much information accessible to you makes it really confusing sometimes to live, and especially in the way of following Jesus. Because sometimes you can say, well, I really think this about that when it comes to God. And now what you can do is you can kind of Google or search, and somebody in the world will agree with your position. And a lot of times that's what we do. We feel like, well, I want to do this or this. God would never be like that. And then you kind of find somebody that agrees with what you think. And then you feel validated in how you're following Jesus. And so what we're going to do in the next seven weeks is we're beginning this series called Countercultural Convictions. To try and understand what does the Bible have to say about certain things and what is our position as Redemption Church speak into these different elements. Because sometimes in outside world, outside of people following Jesus, you would think, yeah, well, they're not going to believe that Jesus is the only way to God. That's understandable. But even within the church, there's confusing conversations about what the Bible really says. And so if you're joining us for a first time, this is actually a good time for you to be here because we're going to unpack some really major things that we would say, this is where we stand on this issue. Normally what we do, just for reference for you, is we walk through books of the Bible. We just got out of the book of Malachi, 
We're doing this seven weeks. We do this maybe about once a year where we'll kind of go off and do a a topical series. And then that'll lead us right into Easter where we'll celebrate the resurrection. We'll have baptisms. It'll be a great time. And then after that, the next week, we're going to be launching into the Gospel of John. We'll be there for 30 weeks, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And that will lead us all the way to Advent and to Christmas till the end of the year. So just so you have an idea of where we're going. um, In the midst of... This conversation, let me um, unpack kind of a roadmap of what we're going to be talking about just briefly. And if you want more information, if you have a bulletin, it's got a a web address on our website that will talk more, um, it'll give more information about where we're going to go with these topics. But the first thing we're going to talk about this morning is love. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus. Sean will talk Jesus being the only way. The following week, we'll talk about the Bible and what we hold about our beliefs of the Bible. The 15th of March, we'll talk about gender. That's not a confusing topic at all, right? But what does the Bible have to say about that? What does our culture say about that? And then on the 22nd of March, we're going to talk about sex. What does the Bible say about sex? So those of you that are parents and you have children in here, depending on the conversation you have with them, just be aware. We're going to talk about some very real things in the midst of that. That's March 22nd. Then the 29th of March, we'll talk about salvation. What do we believe the Bible says about salvation? How does somebody become saved? And then the last week, April 5th, we'll talk about the vulnerable. What is God's heart for the marginalized and the vulnerable? And what does that mean for us as we move forward as a community? So that gives you an idea. Again, there's more information on our website and you can find that in your bulletin. But why are we starting this series with love? Like, why would we pick love in the midst of all those topics to kick off? Um, as a church, Redemption has had a membership packet. You can find it online if you go to Belong, our homepage, Belong, and then you go down and search membership, and you can hit membership packet. It basically uh, unpacks all of what we believe, our practices, our doctrines, what it means to become a member of this community. And about seven years ago, we kind of retweaked it and retooled it. It used to be like 72 pages long. It was super dense. And then we got it to 58 pages Um, This last iteration, several people within um, our body of Redemption Church worked on it, and now it's down to 39 pages. Great. Uh, It's a little bit more readable, but one of the things that we did was we changed the very, very beginning stance. We talked about some things we believe in culturally, and the first thing we talk about in that membership packet is love. And I want to read what it says in that membership packet, just so you, to be aware of, this is what we're starting with in the midst of a community that is trying to follow Jesus. Listen to what this says. It says, love is the center of the universe and at the center of Redemption Church. From eternity past, one God exists in three persons as an eternal communion of perfect love. Out of the overflow of that love, he created the world we inhabit, such as relationship is woven into the fabric that all exist. This relational vision for a creation implicates our understanding of sin. At the heart of humanity's rebellion, there is a relational discord with God that reverberates through the whole universe. Sin is, among other things, the obstruction of love. God's instruction to his covenant people, the law, was designed to teach fallen people how to love. In the end, or purpose, the law is love. God in Christ does what the law has failed to do, showing us in the flesh what the fulfillment of the law looks like. Love is not merely revealed on ink on a page, but in the person of Jesus. 
Jesus shows us how to love is truth-telling. It's humble, sacrificial, considerate, hospitable, hostility-absorbing, non-reactive, lower-place-taking, honest, initiative-taking, thoughtful, serving, forgiving, and ultimately substitutionary. Love necessarily spills out into public life. Justice is what love looks like when it moves through a society. Where people love their neighbors as themselves, there will be a society that is moving towards justice. Love pursues the other. We must have connection with people who are not like us in order to love like Jesus. Love is not blind. It enables us to see and empathize with the perspectives of others. Love is not in a hurry. It is pleased to take the time to cultivate relationships rooted in trust and respect. The Lord, who is love, defines love. If we're to follow Jesus, love is the only way. This relational lens shapes our approach to doctrine and practice as Redemption Church. I was having a conversation with one of my friends who is in our community here, and he works in construction. And I asked him the question this week. I said, I know they talk about like foundation being really important, but like how, how important really is foundation to building a building? And he was like, foundation is everything. Foundation is everything to support the structure above. And he said, the higher the structure goes, the stronger the foundation has to be. I don't know if any of you have been inside a Tesla car. You've seen these Tesla cars that are around and they're electric, they don't need gas. Um, this is the inside of the Model S Tesla. And it, it's, like, it's like sitting in a spaceship. It's pretty wild. Um, it has every type of tool, every bell and whistle you could ever want in a vehicle, and it is so smooth the way you move in a Tesla. But even if you have everything you would ever need in a vehicle. If a Tesla doesn't have the engine or the motor, technically doesn't have an engine. If it doesn't have the motor because it's electric, but if it doesn't have the engine, you're not going anywhere. You can't move. You can have all the things that you want, but you can't move forward. And what we're suggesting this morning is that love is the engine of the kingdom of God. And oftentimes, we make other things the engine in the midst of our Christian community. And Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen if, if you don't have a copy of God's word. But the context is Paul is trying to help these new Christians do community and follow Jesus in this church called Corinth. And it's a wild city. And in chapter 12, what he does is he unpacks, like, listen, God has actually given you things, spiritual gifts to be able to build up each other in the midst of this community. He's given you all these certain things, and he kind of outlines in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, like, you should use the gift this way and not this way, but you should all desire these gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. And at the very end of that chapter, moving into chapter 13, he says, but there is still a better way. And then before we get to verse 4, which most of us are familiar with in this room probably, that love is patient, love is kind. Before that, he unpacks three verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 3. I want to look at them 
in the midst of our context and reminding us that love is the engine. This is what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. Sometimes in the midst of our community, we make preaching the engine. How we speak, what we say. Which church do you go to? Oh, that guy can preach. Oh, she can preach. It's, a, it's amazing how they can preach. And we substitute love being the engine for preaching being the engine. Verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith as to move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Sometimes in our communities, instead of love being the engine, we have doctrine as the engine. All knowledge, oh, we get it right here at Redemption Pure, like we're really doctrinally sound. And we put that as the engine. Sometimes in our faith communities, we put experience as the engine. If you have faith that can move a mountain, you walk in and you just think, man, I just experience God in this way when I'm in worship there and music and it builds my faith. And sometimes we make that the engine. How about verse three? If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Sometimes in our context, we make mission the engine. That it's all about mission. It's all about giving everything you've got. And preaching and doctrine and faith and experience and mission, these are all necessary things. They're good things that move us forward. We'll continue to press into all of those things at Redemption Purity. But if it's not wrapped in love, it's misdirected. And at worst, it's damaging. And so as we talk through the next six weeks of these different things, we need to pocket our conversation in love. It is the foundation of everything we do, every conversation we have, every interaction with another person. It has to be from a place of love. If love is the engine that drives us, we probably need to have a conversation about what love means. Because as I say the word love, and if I pulled everybody in this room, said, is your definition the same as my definition? It's probably not going to be true. And especially the outside culture, when we use the word love, they're probably thinking of a different thing when we use the word love and talking about how Jesus loves. So let's talk just briefly about that definition of love. How does the culture define love? I've been watching the Justin Bieber documentary. Don't judge me on YouTube <clears throat> lately. And um, I, I just think Justin Bieber is a fascinating person. His story is really interesting to me. And he hasn't put out an album for a couple of years. He just released a new album. And so he has this documentary on YouTube, these little 10 minute, um, I don't know how many there are. There, there's these little 10 minute documentaries about the creative process and making the album. He gets married and his relationship with his wife and things like that. The point I'm making here, I'm getting somewhere, is that at the beginning of every single one of these 10-minute YouTubes, it's sponsored by Calvin Klein. Calvin Klein makes clothing. 
they also make a fragrance called CK1. That's been out for a while, but it's supposed to be gender neutral. Could be for him, could be for her, right? We're going to talk about gender in a little bit here, a couple weeks. But let me ask you a question. Like, why does every single cologne or perfume commercial have to be super bizarre? Right? Like, I just think Zoolander did a great job, if you've seen that movie, of painting the mockery of these types of ads. But it's true. They're just weird. So this CK1 ad that comes up in the documentary of Justin Bieber, I've watched them all, and it's the same ad every time. It's 15 seconds before you get into the content, 15 seconds of this ad. And it's talking about love. And it's all these models, and they're walking to the camera, and they're like, I love his wisdom, and I love her smile. And it's all these things about love. And then the very last image is this girl, and she's hugging another person. But when you look at it, you realize like it's, it's, um, they did something digitally where she's hugging herself. And she's hugging herself, and she looks into the camera like this. And she goes, I love every one of me. I'm like, well, I don't, what does that even mean? Like, I, like, I, I don't even know how to process that. Um, but after watching it several times, I think what they're trying to communicate, and I think what the broader culture in our culture is communicating is, it's all about self-love. Like, the worst thing you can do is say, no, you can't do that, because that's not loving. That would impede myself of loving. And so the culture would say, like, it's, it's about loving yourself all the time. And even if it's just loving yourself, which this ad is bizarre and interesting, but um, this version of even if you bring somebody else into the picture, it's still about self-love. This, like, Jerry Maguire, you complete me stuff. Like, it's really not about the other person. It's really about you. And the world knows that even though we use the word love there, like it's watered down and it's like synthetic and it's not even real love. Even the culture outside of Christianity says like, well, there's love and then there's what? There's true love. Like there's a deeper version of this shallow version of love. I want to watch a two-minute clip of somebody else who's a cultural influencer in, in our world. Watch what he has to say about love. Check this out. So I was thinking about um, love. I was thinking about how difficult it is for us to find and to, to maintain the love that we all yearn for. And it, it, it kind of dawned on me that I think a big part of the problem is that we misdefine love. It's possible that no other one subject has been more analyzed, talked about, and experienced by every single person on this planet than love. And yet, we really have no clue what it is. So me and Jada was reflecting about love. You cannot make 
a person happy. You can make a person smile. You can make a person feel good. You can make a person laugh. But whether or not a person is happy is deeply and totally and utterly out of your control. The thing that we call love, the thing that we're searching for and we're trying to create that we call love is actually not love. Jay Krishnamurti talked about the, the concept of the desire pleasure paradigm that we think about love in terms of desire and pleasure meaning that if you meet my needs then I love you if you don't then I don't so that love becomes transactional if you do what I want if you meet my desire and give me pleasure I love you if you don't meet my desire and you don't give me pleasure I don't love you I think that that in the insatiable nature of desire trying to get somebody to fill our cup I think that that leads to to anger and it leads to uh, frustration and ultimately it makes us break apart from people some interesting commentary on love from Will Smith and if you continue to to watch the rest of that clip it's like six minutes long it's another four minutes and some things he says in here I'm like yeah like even the contractual version of society's love. But then other things he says, I'm like, no. Um, Especially as he continues on the clip, the next part, he kind of talks about like this kind of version of self-love and, but then at the end of the clip, he talks about sacrificing. And so it's, it's a confusing conversation to have as we hear these different messages of what love is. But one of the things he does say in that clip, I'm not sure if you picked it up, he talks about how um, love is examined, maybe more than any other subject, but then he says this line, he says, but we still have no clue what it is. And as a Christian, I just disagree with that. I think we do know what love is, unpacked in 1 Corinthians 13, as Paul unpacks it for us. We look at Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, starting with love and the ripple effects of walking in the Spirit. And then we have the ultimate example of love in the person of Jesus. 1 John tells us that God is love. And if Jesus is God, then Jesus is love. He is the full embodiment of what love looks like as a human. So every time we examine Jesus, we look at Jesus, every time he says something, every time he doesn't say something, his moves, his actions, they are all based in perfect love. And we need to know that. This is what Jesus says. In John chapter 13, it was read earlier. We're going to sit here for just a little bit. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus is talking to his followers. This is what he says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Verse 35, Jesus is making the claim that if you love each other well, people will see it. And that should be the indicator that you're one of my followers. My wife and I for years worked in athletic ministry with college athletes. And one of the things we would do is we would take them to certain spots and we would run these camps where we were trying to train them on what it looks like to integrate their faith in the midst of their competition. And so we had athletes from all different walks of life and all different sports. And we would bring them together 
And the first couple of days, we would have them play volleyball, and we would break in and kind of coach them and help them and give them tools and tricks. But one of the things we would do as a staff, after doing this a while, is you would sit back, some of the staff would sit back, and the first day they were competing, we would just watch. And we could tell, we started playing this game of like, okay, what, per- what sport does that person play? What sport does that person play? Before even having a conversation or looking what it says on their shirt, like, we could tell what sport an athlete play by the way they walk, right? Cheerleaders walk a certain way. Gymnasts walk a certain way. Football players walk a very different way. Wrestlers, you don't even have to look at their ears. They walk a certain way. And we could see from sitting back and we could assess, okay, that, yeah, that person's a basketball player. There's a swimmer right there. And what Jesus is saying here is as you move throughout your life in relationships, do people look at you and say, that's, that's a follower of Jesus right there. When people describe your personality to others, it's like, well, she's really funny, or he's really serious, or she is so smart. Does the word love ever enter that equation or description? Man, they're just really loving. I feel like they really love people well. That's what Jesus is after, that that would be the indicator. Not the other things would be an indicator that they're always right or they're good, like, but that they love. And in verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. If we read that verse and Jesus' command is to love, that that is the engine of what we are doing, if his command is to love, and he says, you need to love like I've loved, it should help us ask the question, well, how did Jesus love? What did that look like? And I want to suggest as we kind of... um, kind of go down the the end of of our time together, that there's three things specifically as we look at the life of Jesus and we look at what blocks us from loving like he calls us to love. Because I believe that you have to understand three things in loving. You have to understand your position, you have to understand your power, and you have to understand your path. Your position, your power, and your path. Henry Nouwen is somebody I love to read, and Leadership Journal published an article he wrote years ago called Moving from Solitude to Community to Ministry. It's one of my favorite reads. I try to read it every year. And in it, the whole premise of the article for people in ministry is like, your ministry should be an overflow of your love relationship with Jesus. That's it. And in it, he talks about getting time, hearing who you really are if you are positioned in Christ if you follow Jesus. Listen to what he has to say. He says, why is it so important that you are with God and God alone on the mountaintop? It's important because it's the place in which you can listen to the voice of the one who calls you the beloved. To pray is to listen to the one who calls you my beloved daughter, my beloved son, my beloved child. To pray is let that, to let that voice speak to the center of your being, to your guts, and let that voice resound in your whole being. He says that's where ministry starts. I would say that's where love starts because your freedom is anchored in claiming your belovedness. That allows you to go into this world and to touch people, to heal them, to speak with them. And to make them aware that they are beloved, chosen, and blessed. 
When you discover your belovedness by God, you see the belovedness of other people and you call that forth. It's an incredible mystery of God's love that the more you know how deeply you are loved, the more you will see how deeply your sisters and brothers in the human family are loved. If we do not know that we are the beloved sons and daughters of God, we're going to expect someone in the community to make us feel that way. They cannot. We'll expect someone to give us that perfect, unconditional love. You have to listen to the voice who calls you the beloved, because otherwise you will run around begging for affirmation, for praise, for success, and then you won't be free. And we see Jesus in his life understood his position, his identity, and his beginning of his ministry, before he preaches a sermon, before he heals anybody, before he does anything, what does he do? He goes down to the Jordan River, and what happens? He gets baptized. And as he's getting baptized, and as he comes out of the water, a voice from heaven says what? It says, this is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus had to hear that voice. He had to continue to get away from people, to continue to be in solitude with his father, to hear that voice, because he heard a lot of other voices coming at him all the time. And right after he heard the voice, you are my beloved, he heard another voice saying, prove that you're the beloved. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? Prove that God loves you. Throw yourself down and he'll rescue you. And Jesus says, no, I don't have to prove anything. I'm already the beloved. And men and women, do you know if you're in Christ, your position in Christ is that you are a son or you are a daughter of the king and that he loves you no matter what you do? He loves you. He cares for you. You've been adopted. Because the world is countercultural in that. It's going to tell you you earn your love from doing this or doing that or what you say or what you do. And the Bible says because of your adoption in Christ, you're already fully loved. What voices are you letting define your position? If you don't intentionally pull back and get time with the Father, knowing you're loved, you're loved, you're loved. You're going to let those other voices catch traction, and that's how you're going to define if you're loved or not. When we sang this morning, even that song of let me hide myself in thee, sometimes when I'm praying, when I'm singing, I'll just imagine like a 12-foot father, God the Father, and I'm singing, and he just has his hands on my shoulders, and he's just there. And he's reminding me, I love you. I love you. No matter all that other stuff, like I love you. And I realized like a month ago, like why do I have that image in my head? Like where's that coming from? And one of my first memories is my dad. He would put his hands on my shoulders, just stand behind me. And knowing the security of my dad, my, my earthly dad who messes up and does, pro- like right, like all of our earthly dads, but to be reminded that the Heavenly Father sits with me and He loves me. Men and women, that's a different way to live because if you don't have that, you can't really love other people. 
right? First John chapter four, verse one, or not verse one, but chapter four says, we love because what? He first loved us. If you haven't received that love, if you don't continue to remind yourself of that love, then you can't really love others. It reminds me of the African proverb, beware of the naked man that offers you his shirt. You cannot give away what you do not have. And so for us to love well, as Jesus calls us to love well, we first have to understand our position as sons and daughters. How are you doing in your exercise of that? Because the enemy would suggest, and again, the culture and the world would suggest, does he really love you? Because if God really loved you, he would give you this. Or he would give you that. It's the same lie we hear in Genesis chapter 3, that God is somehow holding out on us and he doesn't really love us because we don't have this or that. And that's just a lie. And we have to take those thoughts, we have to take those lies, and we have to make them captive and obedient to Christ. And remember that you are loved. You're loved. If we're going to love others as Jesus called us to love them, we have to first live out our position as sons and daughters. The second thing we need to be reminded of is where our power is from. In verse 34 of chapter 13 of John, Jesus is saying, this is the new command I give to you. The problem with a command of love is like it's really hard to do. I don't know about you, but I tell my kids this all the time. Love your sister. You need to love your brother. How do you think that works? Probably not very well in our house, right? John Stanford, who is a psychologist, on his meditation, specifically on this verse in chapter 13, he says this, the difficulty from a psychological point of view with this command is that love cannot be willed. The person who tries to love by an act of the will is likely to wind up with a persona that looks like he or she is loving, but with a shadow side hidden in the unconscious that negates it. Love must come from the heart if it is to be genuine. It cannot be faked, not even with the best intentions. And so what does that mean for us if Jesus is commanding us to love? Here's what I think he's getting to. And I think Jesus is getting to is most of us, if we hear the command of love your neighbor or love your brother or love your sister, a lot of us, if we say, okay, we'll receive that. Then we go, okay, what do I need to do? Maybe I need to talk nicer to them. Maybe I need to do this. Maybe I need to do that. Maybe I need to do this. And we just rely on our own power to love. And it ends up usually not working out very well. Even if we can act like we love each other, as the quote says, like we start maybe getting bitter or resentment or we're going, ah, I don't know. They haven't reciprocated that love, so I don't know if I should keep loving them. And again, the problem is our power source. We're trying to do it on our own efforts. And so we need to shift our power source from our own efforts to a dependent on the Holy Spirit through prayer. That is our power source. Again, if the engine is love or the motor is love in the midst of our Tesla, if we're moving somewhere, you know that Tesla is electric. It doesn't need gas, but what it does need is it needs to get plugged into the wall. If it's not plugged into the wall and its power source, it's not going to go anywhere. 
So the same thing is true for us. We need to be dependent on our source, which is the Holy Spirit. And again, the Holy Spirit can be massively confusing, even in Christian conversations. And I don't want to go to the depth of who the Spirit is, as he is God. But what I want you to take away is like, I need to plug into my power source. I don't know how electricity works. I just don't. But I know when I plug in the lamp to my wall, it turns on. And if it's unplugged, it doesn't work. So for you to be plugged into your power source is to be dependent in prayer and going, God, would you help me love them today? Would you help change my attitude that you would be dependent saying, I can't do it. God, I can't do it. Would you do it through me? That's what it means to tap into your power source instead of like, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yep, I can do it. Instead, that you would be dependent on the power of the Spirit that is working in and through you. If we're going to love others as Jesus has called us to love, we must first live out of our position as sons and daughters. Secondly, we must stop trying to love people in our own efforts, but rely moment by moment on the power we have to the access of the Holy Spirit through prayer. And the last way of love, and we, again, we see Jesus dependent all the time on his Father. He's dependent on his obedience. He lives out of his position. He's dependent in his power. And then this last one, for us to love like Jesus, is we have to understand our path. Because our culture is constantly selling us the lie that I am the center of the universe. I don't know if you know that. You're the center of the universe, Right? And like that's how it molds and shapes and advertisers use that, that you deserve this and you are the center. And the way Jesus calls us to love is just the opposite of that. You're not the center. And even in that American narrative, it's kind of like, well, I'm going to climb the ladder of success. I'm going to go up, upwardly mobile. I'm going to keep going up. I'm going to keep going up. And the path of love as Jesus calls us to is actually not up, it's down. It's to go down. The path of following Jesus is humble and sacrificial, which again is countercultural. In the context of John 13, the scene before these words that we've been looking at, Jesus gives an example of this as he washes his disciples' feet. And in that culture, the task of foot washing was so menial, according to some Jewish resources, that Jewish slaves were exempt from the job. They would let the Gentiles do it. They were lower than the low. And Jesus gives an example. Well, you don't want to know what love looks like? It's a humble posture. It's taking the lower seat. In your relationships, as you are attempting to love other people, are you taking the path of humility? Are you considering the other person better than yourself? Humility is countercultural. I want to look at a quote from Diane Langberg on the screen here. It says, Leadership like Jesus is stunningly different from the focus of the grand and great leader we often find in churches today. Leadership in the name of Jesus is a regressive leadership, a leadership that goes back, stoops, and willingly becomes small. This is the path of love. That humility would always win. 
Not only is this path paved in humility, but it's also paved in sacrifice. To love as Jesus calls us to love is a call to death. And death is certainly countercultural, but it's the true path of love. It's a death to your pride. It's a death to your own power. It's a death to your comfort. It's a death on how others view you. But it's not just a death for dying's sake. It's a death so that someone else can rise. So when I die to my pride of thinking I am better than you, it's so that you can rise. When I die to my own power, it's so that the power of the Spirit can rise. When I die for my comfort of loving my wife, it's so that my wife can rise. When I die to the bondage of what you think about me, it's so that my belovedness from the Father can rise. There's a reason for this death. And Jesus displays the ultimate path of death as he goes to the cross. In doing so, he paints the most beautiful demonstration of love that has ever existed. And he does it so that we can rise. That's where we're reminded every week as we take communion, this ultimate sacrifice is a sacrifice of love so that you can be free, so that the Father can call you the beloved. Because without Jesus' sacrifice, that doesn't happen. If we're going to love others as Jesus has called us to love, we must first live out of our position as sons and daughters. Secondly, we must stop trying to love people in our own efforts, but rely moment by moment on the power we have access to in the Spirit. And finally, we need to be a people whose path is postured in humility and sacrifice. May love be the engine. Let's pray. Father, even having this conversation of love is convicting for my own heart. God, I want to be somebody that hears and am rooted and anchored in your love for me. I don't want to be empowered by your spirit, not my own effort, God. And I want to choose the path of humility and sacrifice. I pray that that would be the case for all of us. And as we do that, people would see that we're your followers because of our love for one another. We need you desperately to enable us to do this. Would you remind us when we start living out of our position based on what we do or what people say, would you remind us when we're relying on our own power instead of the power of your spirit, would you remind us when we take the path of comfort and pride instead of taking the path of humility and sacrifice. We need you so much. Thanks for loving us. We pray this in your name.